0: Well, that's the last time you'll see that trailer. So sorry. But for 10 years, you will still think of, they told me to run, or something like that. But, but I ran. No, that's what it was. But I ran. Yes. They told me to go, but I ran. So that's good. Those things stick in your head, which is good, because I think we need to be reminded that it is natural for us to run in the opposite direction of God and oftentimes, he pursues us much like he pursued Jonah. So we had a lot of rain this weekend, and I'm, honestly, I'm disappointed. I'm one of those crazy people who likes snow. Uh, I prefer snow. If it's going to be cold and it's going to be wet, let it be snow, right? So just give us a few more degrees, you know, give us. But that's all right. It does remind me, however, that there was a snowman who was in the farmer's market looking at carrots. Why? He was picking his nose. Good job. There you go. He got it. All right. So, yeah, it's good. I mean, I thought that was actually pretty timely considering we had a bunch of children up here on stage. So, but let's be honest, we're never too old to pick our nose. So, all right, we're dying quickly here. Okay. Let's move on. So, uh, just a couple things. Again, don't forget, we've got that... uh, Christmas Eve service coming up and that offering to give. I do really want to bless the, the teachers here. Uh, I do think that'll be a great opportunity for us to show them how much we appreciate them allowing us to use their facility here. So think about that. And then the conference coming up, do need to know about that. So I just want to put a plug in there for that. Uh, hopefully you can go to it because I think it'll be, worth, it'll be worth your while. So uh, You're here today because Jesus wants to change your life. Okay not your circumstance, but your life. He wants to transform you from the inside out. He does that through the gospel. He does that through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke shared already, read, read a passage this morning, talked about the gospel, how we need to realize that we are in need of a Savior, how we need to confess our sins and cling to Him and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is an absolutely true statement. It comes from God's Word. It comes from Him, Himself. And if we do not trust Him as our Lord and Savior, then we go throughout this life, and we will have to pay for our own sins. But if we trust Him, that He paid for our sins, then we can cling to that and hold to that and know that He did that so we can have eternal life, and that eternal life starts today, the day that you make your decision to follow Christ, and you have that relationship with God. So it's an incredible thing, and as God gave us His Word, He gave it to us so like Jonah, He can shape our heart and make us more like His Son. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. Well, as we close up Jonah today, we're going to talk about this last point, passion for compassion, Jonah chapter 4. And so there were a lot of different ways we could go with Jonah chapter 4. As I started looking through it, really there's a lot of um, just topics we could approach, and, and you could read it from a different point of view and, and go a lot of different directions. But sometimes you try to go all those different directions, and people go out going, well, what just happened? So I want to narrow it down to one, but it will give you a couple different ideas of where you could take this passage. One, you could talk about how Jonah wrestled with God and how God always wins. And certainly that can apply to all of us. We can wrestle with God at times. We can think we're right and we can think God's wrong and we're just wrestling with Him, but ultimately God wins. We will point that out a little bit as we go through this. We can also talk about how anger flares when you refuse to do what you know is right, right? Anger flares when you refuse to do what you know is right. Uh, you see that here. Jonah is mad. He's ticked off because here God is doing something that he doesn't want him to do. He's forgiving the Ninevites. And he gets angry. He gets mad. So we'll take a look at that as well. And you can also make this point. And you can have right theology, but that does not guarantee right living. In other words, you can know a lot about God. You can know his background. You can know his attributes. Jonah did. Jonah did. He knew that he was a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He knew all those types of things, yet he still was not living it. And so it's clear that you can have right theology and not have the right kind of living. So there's a lot of different ways you could go with this passage, but I'm going to kind of build off of what we've already been building on, and Luke hit on last week, and I want to continue this theme about compassion and having a passion for God's compassion. So here's our big idea for the day. The Lord's compassion for people is the passion we all need. The compassion that God has for people in this world is the passion that we need. How powerful is compassion? How powerful is it in your life? What even is compassion? And I remember, and this stuck with me, so it's just the definition that I've had probably since I was, I think I was in high school when I first heard this, that compassion is putting yourself in another person's shoes and trying to live life the way they're living life and seeing things from their point of view. And once you see things from their point of view, you're going to realize, wow, their life is more difficult than maybe I thought, or they're facing things I didn't even realize they're facing. And so you put yourself, you empathize or you sympathize, depending on whether you have some of those experiences, and you put yourself in that person's shoes and you begin to have compassion because you realize what their life is like. I think that's a good way to see compassion. Imagine if Jonah stepped into the heart and mind of an Ninevite, growing up as an Ninevite. He didn't know any better. In fact, God makes that point. How can you criticize somebody who doesn't know his right hand from his left hand? They don't know what's right and what's wrong. Yet Jonah sat in judgment on them. My eyes began to get more and more open to our society when we decided to, to do foster care. And you start to really think through. I knew it existed out there. Of course, it's just in our backyard, right? But you really start to think through what these children are going through. Of course, they have a lot of videos. They show you and all kinds of things that you get training and try to help you understand even more. But you, you just stop and think, what would life have been like for you if you were three, four, five, six, ten 10 years of age? Someone goes into your house and pulls you out and takes you away from everything you know. And drops you into some strange family. And they like to go to church. You know? and, and they make you do things that you didn't have to do before. And they eat weird foods that you never ate before. And, and they do all these things that you've never done before. And now your life is totally turned upside down. What's life like in a situation like that? Kids go through that all the time. What's it like for an adult who's been abused? Growing up. What's it like for people who grew up with a mom and dad who were always on drugs and never had time with them? That's the life they know. And sometimes we look from our point of view and we think, oh, they just need to clean up their act, they need to fix it, and it's going to be fine. But if we put ourselves in their shoes, we begin to understand their life was pretty hard. And I begin to understand my life was pretty good. I thank God for the life I had And I want to have compassion for those who maybe didn't have it so good. D.L. Moody told this story of his conversion. If you don't know who D.L. Moody is, he was an evangelist in the late 1800s. And uh, once he became a follower of Christ in the mid-1800s, for the next 50 or so years, he led a lot of people to Christ. Thousands of people. But here's his conversion story. He says, when I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day, I recollect, my teacher came around behind this, the counter of the shop I was at work in, and he put his hand on my shoulder and talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul until then, and I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here this is man, here's a man who never saw me until lately, and he is weeping over my sins. And I never shed a tear about him. But I understand it now. And I know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. So moved by the fact that D.L. Moody needed to confess Jesus, Jesus as his Lord and, and confess his sins and seek forgiveness, this person came and put their arms and his hand on, on their shoulder and said, you need to repent. And they had compassion for, for Moody. And then Moody takes that compassion and he gives it to other people. We ought to have that kind of compassion. So the Lord's compassion for people is the passion we all need. Well, let's jump into the text here, and we're going to read through it, make a few points. And uh, I know we had a a kids program, so we're kind of closing up chapter four and moving through it pretty quick, but I think we'll get the main idea here. Let's pray before we do. Father, we thank you for who you are. What an awesome God you are. That you didn't just create us and let us do our own thing, but you create us. You gave us free will. We goofed, we made a mistake, and yet you still are compassionate and gracious towards us. You love us along the way. And when we make mistakes, Like Nineveh, like Jonah, when we know better and we still make mistakes, you're gracious and compassionate towards us. Thank you for that. Help us to have that kind of compassion as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. If you look at the words even more here, this word displeased in the Hebrew is more uh, along the lines of just wicked. You could almost say that Jonah was acting in a wicked way an evil way. He was displeased, greatly displeased. And he became furious. So there's anger that the Bible talks about, and then there's anger that causes people to sin. This is the anger that causes people to sin. Anger can be a great motivation if it points you to God and does things for God. But it can also be a terrible motivation if it points you the other direction, which oftentimes it does. So he becomes furious because he was acting wickedly. So he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? And this is where where we find out why he fled to Tarshish. Chapter 4, verse 2. That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster." Now, let's go back and look at what Jonah has done so far. Chapter 1, God says to Jonah, Jonah, go to Tarsh- or go to Nineveh and preach against it. Tell them to repent. I'm going to destroy them if they don't. Jonah says, no way. I'm not going to do that. He goes the opposite direction. He goes to Tarshish, gets on a, a ship. Big storm comes. The sailors say, hey, we need to figure out what's going on here. They figure out it's Jonah. They throw him overboard. He's dying. He, you know, he's getting swallowed by fish. Obviously, at that point, you might think you're dying. So he starts to pray to God, and God says, you know what, I'm going to give you another chance. Throws him up onto dry land. Jonah then takes a hike across the desert, goes to Nineveh, explains to him, in 40 days, you guys are going to be destroyed unless you turn to God. And they respond. 120,000 people say, huh, okay. And they put on sackcloth and they sit in their ashes and they they humble themselves before God and God says, You know what, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna destroy them. Now, we just saw a video, and it was like, yeah, 4,000 people, and it talked about, you know, even more, four, was it 400, I think I quoted at one point, so it just grew, the Great Awakening was huge, and people were celebrating that, and we look back on history and go, that was amazing, and anybody who was, who was preaching and teaching at that time and seeing that people come to faith in Christ were excited and rejoicing, and here you've got Jonah, goes out, gives a message, 120,000 people repent and turn to God, and he's ticked i think there's something with wrong with his heart right and here he goes back and he says god i know that you're a gracious and compassionate god i know that you're slow to anger i know that you're abounding in faithful love and if you could put in a little bit of a phrase there i think you might even say i really appreciate it when you do all those things for me but you're going to do it for people i don't like And that's what Jonah had a problem with. So you go on, verse 3, it says, And now, Lord, this is what he goes to say, Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So now we've gone from, I'm angry, I'm displeased with life, to, why don't you just kill me, God? This is terrible. I can't believe you just saved 120,000 people. Could you imagine if we walked right now, got up from here, walked through the streets of Nampa and started preaching Christ, if all of Nampa got saved? That's what happened. Nampa has, what, a little over 100,000 people? What if they all confessed Christ as Lord and Savior? That would be amazing. we definitely, you know, we'd have to get a little bigger auditorium here. It would be awesome. But he gets upset in fact god just go ahead and kill me And so god says really is, is it right for you to be angry and he just leaves it there is it right for you to be angry so husbands and wives have you been in that conversation with your spouse and you get to that point where you're arguing back and forth and you say that question really should you be angry about this <laughs> and usually it's the guy you know, of course i should be angry about that Here, here's, here's Jonah making a big deal about something amazing that God just did. He has absolutely no right to be angry. So what does he do next? Verse 5, Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made a shelter, and there he sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. And I think he starts to say, hey, I'm going to see what God does in this situation. So I'm gonna go up on this side. I'm gonna build my own little shelter, and then God does something amazing. God appoints a plant. So, okay, he's already saved. He's already done incredible things throughout this story, right? He's swallowed Jonah with a fish. Uh, he's taken 120,000 people and had them repent. Now he does something like this. He appoints a plant, and it grows up over Jonah. Grew up over Jonah and provided shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. And Jonah then, here's the opposite from what he was before, was greatly pleased with the plant. So he was angry, he was wicked, he was furious about the people repenting, but this little plant, and some of your translations might have gourd, this plant grows up, and he's like, oh, well, now I'm happy. See how silly it sounds? It sounds. That's the point of this story, is just to see how silly Jonah's being. And so he uses a very similar word here, but in the opposite way. Before he's acting wicked, now he's acting all like, hey, I'm, I'm really pleased, I'm really happy, I'm really thankful, because God made this plant grow up all of a sudden. Of course, he doesn't attribute it to God, as far as we know, but God points it out in his word. But then what does God do? When dawn came the next day, again, God appointed, there's that word again that we've seen really all throughout the story of Jonah, he appointed a great fish, appointed a plant to grow, he appointed a worm that came and attacked the plants, and it died, it withered. So Jonah, I'm thinking, Jonah, okay, you go back to your shade that you built, right? But Jonah just gets mad. As the sun was rising, God appointed, there it is again, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted. And here, if you've lived in Idaho all your life, you've probably been in that position at some point, right? You've just been outside, and you're like, oh, I'm going to die. It might have been a little worse here. And he wanted to die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live at this moment. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? Look at Jonah's response. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. This stupid plant gave me shade. Now it's dead. Kill me, Lord. Right? Seems silly. But put yourself in that shoe. Put yourself in his shoes. He's unhappy already. He goes up on the side of the mountain. It gets hot. The sun's beating down on him. He's sweating. He's mad already. It just builds and builds and builds to the finally he kind of explodes. So the Lord said this and gives him his final lesson. You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and you did not grow it. It appeared in a night... Which I think tells us that God just kind of popped it up out of nowhere. And it perished in a night. The next day, it's gone. But look at this, Jonah. But you don't care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. And that's where God leaves it. That's so where the story ends kind of one of those cliffhangers. You're like, okay, what happened? What happened, Jonah? Did you actually repent at this point? And I, I kind of take it that Jonah probably wrote the story or at least went back to whoever and told them to write it or something like that. So I think Jonah probably did repent. That's just a belief. But it, it doesn't say it anywhere. It doesn't confirm it in Scripture. I think it's just left there for all of us to read it and go, huh, I wonder what we would do. Because that's the point of the story, It's for us to look at ourselves and say, if I was in Jonah's shoes, what would I do, what would I say? I pointed this out earlier, and I think it's kind of interesting just to continue to follow. Two or three years ago, if you had asked me, hey, Pastor Ryan, do you think Kanye West would ever become a follower of Jesus Christ? I'd probably have said, I don't think so, probably not. So recently he's made a profession of faith in Christ and now he's going out there professing that people need Jesus Christ, that they need to recognize their own sins and that they need to actually repent. And what's funny to me is that there are Christians who have gone up on the hillside and built their shelters and are watching to see Kanye West fail. And it begs the question, do we think, one, that God would never save a person like Kanye West? Or two, that God's not capable of saving a person like Kanye West? And I think all of you would say, no, no, we believe that he would do that. Or he can. He has the power to. He saved Paul. Paul was killing people. He was killing Christians. The first church, the early church, had the same response about Paul, by the way. When they heard that Paul got saved, a lot of them are like, I don't know. They wouldn't invite him in till he proved himself. There's some wisdom there. But the reality is, God is a powerful God. And he can save who he wants to save, and he can save how he wants to save. That's just the kind of God he is. And praise God he does, otherwise I wouldn't be saved. So I think that's a good way for us to look at how and, and, and examine our own hearts today and say, okay, where are we as, as people? How is our hearts? A couple points before we close here, just to kind of go through and summarize. Jonah's anger came from the wrong passion. I think that's one of the issues he had. First, you see that he had a passion to be the judge, he went out and he sat his, his, his shelter up there on the hillside. And he looked down on the people and he was like, mm, I just can't wait. I can't wait until God finally sends a judgment on these people. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I think that's probably what was going on in his mind. I'll sit up here and I'll wait. Much like Abraham did back with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, however, went to this afterwards. Beforehand, he went to God and he said, Hey, let's, let's have a little negotiation. God, for 50 people, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? He's like, nah, nah, yeah, I would. Okay. For 45, yeah, I would. 40, yeah, I would. 20, yeah, I would. 10, yeah, I would. And then God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because he couldn't even find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. What's interesting is Abraham goes up the next day and looks over the city and sees it destroyed, and he is broken over it. Jonah is the other side. It's the flip side. Jonah comes up over the city and he's looking over the city, and all these people have repented and he's angry about it. I think it's kind of interesting because if you look at the stories in the Bible, you start with Abraham for Israel, and Jonah is one of the last stories before Christ comes. It's a great picture of where Israel started and where its heart was at the end before Christ came. It's so hard. We harden our hearts at times. Sometimes we think because we're just the only ones that should have salvation, and then we judge everybody else. Jonah had a passion to be the judge, but God's the judge. Jonah had a passion to win his argument. Anybody here like to win an argument? Anybody here ever get in an argument with God? Yeah, I do. I'm like, God, I don't really like what you're doing right now. But you know what? God always wins. And Job is in one of those situations, if you know the story of Job at all, a lot of things were taken from Job. He goes through a lot of pain, and, and he's, if anybody can cry out to God, you read the story of Job, and you're like, yeah, I'd be crying out to God. God, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? And so at the end, God comes to Job, and look at what he has to say to, to Job. Who is this, who obscures my counsel, because there's some back and forth, and there's some blaming, you know, starting to, to blame God. Why, God? I'm not, you know, I shouldn't be going through all of this and so forth. So he says, who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. Okay, he charges, you know, he challenges him. Like a man, you're ready to answer this. When I question you, you will inform me. And here's some of his questions, and you can read a lot more about it if you look at the passage. Where were you when I established the earth? I wasn't there. Tell me if you have my under, or if you have understanding of how it all works. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly, you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket. Where were you, Jonah? Or Job, in that case. And he could say the same thing to Jonah, and he could say the same thing to us when we begin to question God. Right? So we may try to win in arguments against God. But I think we have to face reality. He's going to win. And he wins the argument with Jonah as well. Jonah had a passion to be comfortable, and I think that's why he has this issue with the plant. He goes out builds a shelter for himself to give himself a little bit of comfort, and then that has gone away. And so he says, "Hey, I'll, you know." After that, he's he's angry. He's upset. I'm not comfortable, God. But honestly, in our, in our walk and our pursuit of Christ, comfort is not the objective. You can go through over and over and over in every passage in the New Testament, over in every book in the New Testament, and see at some point we're challenged to sacrifice. We're challenged to live in a way where we, we put God first in our lives and we honor Him with our lives, and it's going to cost us something. It's going to hurt a little bit because it is a bit of a sacrifice. Now, we're told in Luke 9.23, then He said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, That is, become my disciple. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It is an act of, I'm going to surrender myself to you. I'm going to volunteer myself to submit to you. That's a difficulty. And it may require us to step out of our comfort zone a little bit at times. Maybe even more than at times. Comfort shouldn't be our passion. Instead, we ought to have God's compassion be our passion Look at what the Lord's passion actually is. It's was and is for all to repent. Now, Luke talked about this last week, and just want to um, reaffirm it and hit some of these verses again to let us know this is what God wants to do. This is what He did with Nineveh, and it's what He wants to do with the people here in Nampa and in the Treasure Valley and in Idaho, across the country, and into the world Titus 2.11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He wants all people to hear the salvation message. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. People in horrific situations, people in countries that, yes, maybe they do kill Christians at this time, God still wants them to hear the gospel. People in lifestyles that are different than ours, God still wants them to hear the gospel. People who have different cultures, people have different generations, God still wants them to hear the gospel. He wants them to be saved. And don't forget this, John three sixteen. many of us know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But don't forget verse 13, 17 where it says, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. He loves the world. I'm grateful God loves me, and I'm so blessed that He does, and I'm grateful that I have eternal life. And that I know that when I die on this earth, I'm going to heaven. And I know that even now I have a relationship with God the Father. And that is awesome. But God has a passion not only to save me, but to save my neighbors and to save the people all around us right here and the people that He's put in our sphere of influence. I want to have that kind of compassion. Compassion for the lost. So the Lord's compassion for the people is the passion we all need well it's Christmas time and I think I started this a while back and I want to go ahead and finish it I told you earlier that the Grinch, or the Grinch and Jonah I think have a lot in common that the story of, of the Grinch tells of a guy whose heart was two sizes too small in a lot of ways Jonah's heart is two sizes too small so you can listen to this and you may enjoy it Uh, You may not, but hopefully at the end it'll drive home the point of this idea of compassion. The Lord saw Nineveh and decided to love them a lot. But Jonah, who lived west of Nineveh, he did not. Jonah hated Nineveh and all the Ninevites and their treason. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight, it could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he wouldn't go to Nineveh to preach to those fools. Why would the Lord send me there, he said with a frown, to show mercy and give time to an unworthy town? For he knew every Ninevite in Nineveh Far East was busy celebrating their plunder with a great big feast. They're proud of their sins. He snarled with a sneer. The Lord's full of mercy, he said without fear. Then he growled with his, his fingers nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep mercy from coming. So to Tarshish, he ran to get away from it all. He jumped on a ship and headed out before fall. And then, oh, the wind, oh, the wind, 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 wind. Why all this wind, all this wind, 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 wind? Then the ship started rocking, but Jonah still snored, so they woke Jonah up and threw him overboard. Then the sailors sang, Fa-hu-fa-res, da hu Welcome, sunshine, come this way. Fa-hu-fo-res, da who, do raise. Thank you, Lord, you saved the day. And that's what they sing. What they sing, 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 sing. And as Jonah paddled, they just continued to sing. And as Jonah sank, he thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years I've served and I'm thinking now, maybe I should go to Nineveh. But how? Then he got a feeling, an awful feeling. Jonah got a fearful, awful feeling. What is it? Jonah shouted out loudly. And just like that, a great fish swallowed him proudly. From inside the fish, Jonah started to pray. Maybe the Lord will let me see the light of another day. Please, Lord, oh please, he said from the heart. I'll serve you, I'll go, just show me where to start. And with a heave and a hoe and a command from the Lord, Jonah shot out of the fish and landed on shore. The sign is pointing to Nineveh. It's where you must go. Not again, Jonah thought. But he said, I must grow. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant through the desert to Nineveh until he was present. It was a quarter of dusk, all the Ninevites still abed, all the people still a snooze, still waiting to be fed. But Jonah preached to the people, Repent or be destroyed! At first there was a snoof and a fuzzle, but soon they were overjoyed. Ten thousand feet up, the king on Mount Crumpet told the people below, Repent or face judgment. Poo-poo to the people, Jonah was grinchingly humming. I bet they're thinking now destruction isn't coming. I know, I know, I know just what I'll do. I'll climb this hill and see what happens in another minute or two. You'll see I was right. He sat there while his anger stewed. Here it comes, grinned Jonah. He heard a sound. The Lord will do it. Yes, the Lord will knock him down. And he did hear something rising over the show. It started in low, and then it started to grow. But this sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded glad. Then it asked Jonah, why are you so mad? And Jonah huffed, and he puffed, and he said, it's not fair. I can't believe you saved them, Lord. Why do you even care? And Jonah, with his eyes cold, heart still sitting in the shade, found even more comfort in the plant God had made. And then, without warning, without notice, without sound, a worm came and ate the plant. No shade could be found. And Jonah puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then he thought the same thing he thought before. Well, I'm mad. I'm angry. This isn't very fair. What happened to my plant? Why isn't it here? And what happened next? Well, in Nineveh, they say, God taught Jonah a lesson to change his heart of clay. The Lord spoke the true meaning of the plants when it came through, a lesson of the plant, the fish, and Nineveh, plus two. And now with a kind word from the Lord on high, that lesson is now passed on to you and to I. The Lord said clearly, you have loved to plant more than people. The thing you seek now is just short of evil. You wish them all gone, destroyed, and wiped out, but I want to help and tell them what life's all about. To bring everyone back to the richest food and feast, and you, Jonah, you had the chance to feed them roast beast. And now that they've come admitting their fault with a song, you still stand in self-righteous judgment and in the wrong. So welcome one, welcome all, bring your cheer. Cheer to all Ninevites far and near. This day, this day, the Lord has spoken. Have compassion on those whose lives are broken. And if, yes, if, their life seems a mess, reach out, reach out with a hope that will bless. So there's your Jonah that stole mercy. We want to have a passion for God's compassion, and Jonah needed to learn that lesson. We need to learn it too. So a couple things to just respond to here at the end. Oops, we're in the dark. That's all right. You can still hear me. Have you been arguing with the Lord on how he's still running this world or how he's running this world? Or maybe salvation, or more personally, your life? Will you voluntarily submit to his way and take the back seat to his plan for the world in your life? In other words, will you just let God do his thing and you love people? What does he say to us? The greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes he's going to put you in the path of people that maybe you find difficult to love and care for, but God still wants you to love them and care care for them. Maybe he's challenging you to reach out to people you don't want to reach out to. God still wants you to do it because he loves them. If you have been arguing and you need a good lesson, read Job 38 to 41 this week to get a good picture of how powerful God is and is your response similar to Job's response in chapter 42 and if you look all the way through it you'll see God points out over and over again I am a powerful God you weren't there when I created the earth you really don't have any right to talk back to me and we know that's true God's gracious to us and he allows us to but we don't have any right to he's our creator powerful God And our relationship with him is just by his grace and his compassion and his mercy. Not because we're worthy or we deserve it, but because Christ made us worthy by giving us himself. That's the only worth we have is Christ. The relationship we have with him helps us have that conversation with him, talk with him, express those hurts, express those desires, express those wants that we personally have. And he's the one that gives us the power and the ability to go and talk to other people about the same thing. What an awesome God we have. So think about those things. How is God shaping your heart? And do you have more compassion after reading Jonah? I hope you do. And as you go into this Christmas season, as we go into 2020, this is something we're going to hit a lot in 2020. God wants us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be doing more and more talking and hopefully a lot more working on reaching out. So think about those things and what's ahead of us.